You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions, and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Bill Sasso, Chairman of the Management Committee and Board of Directors at the law firm of Stradley Ronan, with eight offices from Chicago to Philadelphia and New York to Washington, D.C. He's also active in the business and philanthropic communities here in the greater Philadelphia region. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's a pleasure to be here, Laura. Now, before we get into business, let me ask you this. Finish the sentence for me. I never thought I would, but... I never thought I would be chairman of a major law firm in Philadelphia. Why not? I guess I, um, when I was in law school, my aim was to join a good law firm, Mm -hmm. which I did, an excellent law firm, and hopefully one day to become a partner in that law firm which I did accomplish, but I never thought I would become chairman of the firm until I actually got involved in the firm governance. And then I had some hopes and some expectations. But up until that time, which was the mid nineties, I just never thought of myself as a firm chairman. I just wanted to be a good lawyer. (laughs) It's funny, as they say, life's what happens when you're busy making other plans, right? Right, exactly. So now in this role as chairman, who do you need to influence? I suppose at the highest level, I need to influence my board. I try and do everything from a governance standpoint by achieving consensus among the board and among the leadership of the firm, including our practice group leaders and our department chairs. And they're the people that are most important to the firm. They're the leadership of the firm. I'm glad that we're the type of firm where we have many, many leaders in all different areas. And to the extent I can influence them and achieve concessions and major decisions that impact the firm, then I consider my stint as chairman to be successful. So it sounds like there's an awful lot of what others might refer to as managing up involved in this influence. I would describe it more as managing down, influencing the people at the top and getting them to get the rest of the folks on board. We have a lot of meetings of department chairs, practice group leaders, And I think it's important for everyone to feel that they're an important part of the enterprise. Sure, sure. Culture begins at the top, doesn't it? It does. It does. Absolutely. Then in doing so, what is the biggest communication challenge that you or the organization overall are facing today? Well, today, it's obviously the pandemic that we're Mm. all facing. We're working remotely. And I think that takes a lot off of the ability to communicate with people. If you have to pick up the phone and call them or arrange for a Zoom call, as opposed to just walking down the hall or stopping in someone's office. We don't have that luxury anymore. And it's, it impacts both the governance of the firm and your relationship with the lawyers in the firm. And it especially impacts your relationship with your clients. So that, that's the major impact in a negative way on communication today. Sure, sure. Hopefully I think- it's going to change, but you know, quite frankly, there doesn't appear to be a quick end in sight anyway. Right, right. Agreed. Then in order to achieve the heights that you've achieved, in order to get to that chairman's role, what specific communication skills did you have to develop? In my case, I think I had to develop the skill of listening. I think it's important for people to know that they have a voice, 
that it's not just you dictating to them, it's you being interested in their opinion to the extent it's a group of individuals building consensus within the group. I always like to listen before I express my own opinion and react to uh, the people I'm communicating with. I like to think I don't try and dominate the conversation. That's just not my style. Mm. I think it's important for every leader to just sit back and listen. You can learn a lot. And I certainly have in my years of chairmanship of the firm. Was there a bit of a learning curve in that? I think I learned pretty quickly because I had great mentors. It's important Mm -hmm. uh, to have excellent mentors. And Andy Young, who I consider to be the true founder of the firm of Stradley Ronan Stevens and Young, was somebody that he didn't teach me that. I just observed him in action and very much appreciated the way he conducted meetings. And then I served under Clark Hodson when he was chairman. I was part of the three-person management team for five years with Clark. And Clark was always the type of person that wanted to hear your opinion first. And I learned a lot from Clark. He was a terrific mentor. I learned to laugh at meetings and to let people know that you have a sense of humor and you weren't that serious person that was trying to intimidate you. Clark had a way of making people feel very relaxed in his presence. And I tried to adopt that as much as possible. Was there a moment you can think of or a meeting and experience where you just sat back and thought, Wow, that was effective, Uh, where you really just took note of the way he handled a situation, either one of them? I think it was a lot of situations. I remember when Clark stepped down as chairman and the firm honored him, and I talked about our five years together in governance. I said that I could never remember a crossword that the three of us expressed to one another. Wow. And I think that was largely because of Clark's presence. And you had to know the man. He was a big guy, and he had a big, booming laugh. And... As I said, at that particular point in time, I never remember us having an argument. I never remember raised voices, but somehow or another, it seemed like every meeting ended with him telling a funny story or finding humor in something at the firm and just leaving us with that big booming laugh of his. Mm. And that made all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Humor can diffuse an awful lot of tension, not to make light of something necessarily, but understanding where the well-placed... When there were serious subjects to be discussed, we discussed them, but always in a collaborative way. And that was his influence. You know, your point about where there was never a crossword among the three of you, I'm sure there were heated discussions, debates, arguments, all that, but to keep it civil, to keep the, you can attack the other person's argument or idea, but not attack the other person. I think that's something that's just becoming more appreciated now more than ever, perhaps. And and we need more leaders who can model how to do that effectively. Certainly in the political arena, we could utilize that. All over. I think it's just a question of mutual respect and Clark respected everyone. Didn't matter whether you disagreed with him or not. He just And that's another thing he taught me, that you have to respect everyone. You have to respect their opinions, even if you strongly disagree with them. Yes. Yes. And that's critical for the leaders, I think, to be able to model, not just instruct. It sounds like they both did that quite effectively. I agree. They did. Then what was a mistake, perhaps, that you made along the way? It sounds like they paved the road and everything was smooth sailing. There were never any problems along the way. Was there by chance a mistake that you made or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way? Every once in a while, I lose my patience, and and I have to be very careful about that. And that's why I try and conduct meetings the way I do, where I sit back and listen and think about things before I express my own opinion. In the very beginning of my tenure, I probably became impatient at times and expressed that. And that's never a good thing. It's just the major drawback of being that way is you stifle conversation. And people have to know 
that their opinions are valuable and you want to hear what they are. And if you become impatient during the course of the discussion, it just shuts down conversation, which is a major mistake. Can you think of a conversation if you if you were to go back where you wish you could go back and just do it over or you hear it? Because we've all had those moments where we hear something come out of our mouths and we think, that sounded better in my head. Or, you know, I boy, I wish I could take that back and redirect that conversation. I haven't had that experience too often. I'd I'd have to go pretty far back. And I guess one of the reasons is I try not to think too much of my mistakes if I try and learn from them and then put them behind me. And I think that's a good way to be. Otherwise, you're constantly reflecting on the things you've done wrong, which I don't think is a good thing for a leader to be thinking about constantly. So Yeah, I think that's a great distinction. You know, do you learn from your lessons? Do you chew on them? Do you reflect on them just enough so that you take the lesson and move on versus just stewing on it and letting it eat at you? That's an important know, to be able to I see some people who are far too serious. They ponder over things far too long. They think back too much. And, you know, I think it, let's just get on with it. There are more important things to decide in the future. Let's move forward. So yes. I think it's all part of my philosophy that you want to move forward as much as possible and, and not belabor the mistakes of the past. From there, then, what's the next big goal for you, either personally or for Stradley Ronan? And what communication skills will you need to develop in order to achieve it? Well, I'm obviously getting toward the end of my career, and I've been involved in a lot of things philanthropically in the community. And one of my big issues, when I was growing up, Laura, I'll give you a little bit of background, but when I was growing up, my dad was a mailman. My mom was a seamstress. I was born in South Philadelphia, raised in North Philadelphia in the Broad and Olney neighborhood. And whether you went to public school or parochial school or private school, you got a great education. And there were plenty of opportunities for you after you got out of school. And my dad, who influenced me tremendously, made it clear that he had four sons. He couldn't afford to pay for their college, but we were smart enough to figure out how to pay for college and graduate school. And And as long as we did well and took advantage of those educational opportunities, we were going to do extremely well. And and we all did. And unfortunately, I don't think that exists today. The education system in Philadelphia has to be improved. And we, we have a terrific school board and a terrific school superintendent who are working to do that. But they have a lot of constraints on their very significant efforts, including financial, especially today, given the pandemic. Yeah. And kids today, when they get out of school, there aren't a lot of jobs. Philadelphia is not in the place of a lot of major cities where they recovered from the recent recession and increased jobs. And and we have to do a better job there. And so I'm, I'm looking for it as my next goal to help do things that are transformational to the city of Philadelphia and, and try and do things that assist the region's most precious assets, our children, in getting a good education and having the opportunities when they get out of school. And that's why I um, became heavily involved as the chairman of Select Greater Philadelphia, which has it. It's one of the three uh, legs of the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce. We work with the CEO Council for Growth there, trying to bring jobs to the region and, and retain jobs that we have. And we've been very successful in that area. And our crowning achievement will probably be the Hilco project, where they are remediating and reconstructing the Sunoco refinery. Uh, almost 1,400 acres in South Philadelphia. You see it on the way to the airport. And they're going to be creating probably 15 to 20,000 jobs, including 8,000 construction jobs. And that is something that is truly transformational. And if I can work on projects like that in the remaining years of my career, that's my goal. Because I see how it helps not just the city and its infrastructure, but again, our region's most precious assets, our children. 
that's a pretty tall order you've got going there. Are there any particular communication skills that you realize are going to be paramount in their importance? I think the most important thing is to be the type of person that people like to listen to. First of all, to get their opinions. And we're in that achieving that goal, you need to be able to work with the political community, with the business community. And it's what I talked about before. It's listening to what their issues are and communicating, not dictating, but communicating to them as to what you feel is important to achieve the goal and try and convince them, not in a demanding way, but in a collaborative way that we have to work together to achieve these goals. And so far, the political community has been great to deal with, city council, the mayor's office, and the business community has as well. There are a lot of people volunteering in this particular area, and especially in the area of Select Greater Philadelphia job growth and job retention. Quite frankly, that's how we're going to cure the poverty problem in Philadelphia. Sure. We have to bring jobs here. We have to bring opportunities. We have to convince kids that it's great to stay in school because there are opportunities for you after you graduate. Yes. So that's that's what I'll be working on. That sounds terrific. Now, that brings us, Bill, to the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge. Given everything we've discussed so far, this is your chance to speak directly to the listeners out there and to challenge them to take one step that they can complete within the next 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I think what you ought to do is give some thought as to where you think you have a serious shortcoming in your communication skills. And think about who is at the opposite end of the spectrum. Somebody that you have a relationship with, somebody that perhaps you admire them because they are at the opposite end of the spectrum where you have certain shortcomings. And arrange to sit down and talk to them. I can't tell you how often people have asked me for my opinion on something that's totally irrelevant to the law firm, totally irrelevant to the political effort that I tend to be involved in. And they just want to talk about themselves and some issues that they have personally. And I think that's, in my opinion anyway, the the greatest compliment you can pay somebody, that you want to talk about what bothers you and, and what you want to prove about yourself. And I know I give people as much time as they need whenever that happens and whenever I'm asked for that opinion. Okay, so in the next 24 hours, you've heard it here first. Your job is to go out there and find somebody who's got a strength in an area where you are not quite as strong yet and try to get some input from them, get some guidance, some advice, some feedback, but to tap into that expertise. Did I get that right, Bill? You did, Laura. All right, thank you. Now that brings us to the next section, which is about succession planning and career advancement priorities and opportunities at the firm. When you think about terms like leadership presence or executive presence, what does that mean to you? Leadership presence to me, the most important aspect of that is knowing how to build consensus Mm. among your peers. I think that's the most critically important thing, especially in a law firm, because lawyers tend to be individuals with strong opinions. And And you have to be willing to let them express their opinions, even though you may disagree with them, and then try and build some consensus around what's good for the firm. That's what I look for as far as succession planning. Unfortunately, we've been blessed with a lot of uh, good leaders in all areas, practice group leaders, department chairs, board members. Sure. So the transition in our firm, actually, I think it's already occurred, given the fact that we share the leadership role among all the people who have expressed an interest and who are good at doing it. So when you're looking at those high potential employees or other associates who are who you're looking at for potential partnership or other roles involved, 
What are the three most important communication skills you look for? Now, you mentioned consensus building as one. Are there two others? Just having the ability to listen Mm -hmm. and to not let your ego get in the way. Just because you have an opinion, it may not necessarily be the right one. And and you should think about those other opinions before you um, strongly endorse your own. So I think just giving consideration to others. On the flip side of that coin, is there a red flag, something that could be a career derailer or would otherwise stop you from hiring or promoting somebody? Well, like I said, lawyers tend to have strong egos and sometimes they go overboard. So uh, it's pretty easy to spot the egotistical ones. Fortunately, we don't have any at Stradley Ronan, but uh, I've experienced quite a bit of that. So we talked earlier on about managing up and how your job as chairman is more about managing down. So tell me about a time when someone pitched something to you as they're managing up and the pitch just failed miserably for you. So what should they have done differently? The one that I can think of is a partner of mine who came in to talk about restructuring his department. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty obvious that it was a restructuring that was built around him and his argument was all about him. And his fellow partners weren't giving him a leadership role. And he was trying to somehow get that leadership role at the political level as opposed to winning it. And I just was very disappointed. I liked the individual and I was just very disappointed in his attempt at doing that, especially since he was trying to use me to get it done. Mm. So what would have been a better approach? What would have been a pitch that would have sounded more something that you could get behind? I would have preferred, actually, if he came in and talked to me about what I thought his shortcomings were and why he wasn't being acknowledged as a leader. Mm. And to just have a very honest face-to-face discussion about that. And hopefully, I think anyway, I could have given him some suggestions for his own personal improvement. And I wound up at a later point in time, even though he didn't ask for it, giving him my opinion as to how he could improve his relationship with his fellow partners. And it worked a little bit, but I don't think he agreed with me. Certainly didn't agree with me 100%, but I think I did have an impact on him. I think it's hard to to accept the notion that humility and vulnerability in, in being able to ask for feedback and being able to say, where am I lacking something? Help me get better at this. For a lot of people, it's hard to see that as a strength as opposed to as a weakness in leadership. And I think it really is. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, this brings us to the speed round. This is the final section of the interview. And these are topics that regularly arise in my training and coaching with other clients, where people tend to think of them as black and white, either or concepts, uh, where we usually realize that they're not. And they also tend to, to lament that they feel like they're the only people who struggle with these challenges. So we want them to know that, well, you may have been born perfect, More than likely, you've also worked on things along the way, right? We all have things that we're trying to get better at and that they're ultimately not alone. So quickly, in a single word or phrase, I'll ask you where you stand on each of these issues. And then I'll ask you for a little bit of follow-up to share some insight to help them get better from there. So first, public speaking, love it or hate it? I enjoy public speaking. I guess I would even go so far as to say I love it. I, I just enjoy doing that. I've had a lot of experience doing it. I've never felt intimidated. One time where I was a little bit concerned about public speaking was when I gave the commencement address at Philadelphia University a few years ago. And it was because, for example, when I when I would give a speech, do public speaking in front of the chamber when I was chairman of the chamber, it was about 1,400 people in the convention center. 
and that never bothered me. I felt very relaxed, but I was thinking that this is 5,000 people in the convention center and they're not all the same. They're not all business people. Mm. It's uh, the whole spectrum of students and parents. And I was trying to give a speech that appealed to all of them. And I have to say that I got more applause from the parents than I did the students. <laughs> so I wasn't entirely successful, but at least some of the audience identified with what I had to say. So what's a tip then, recognizing that this is a very new audience, right? You're, and I think this is something most people can relate to, that they're comfortable speaking to whoever their usual group is, whether it's their team or their peers or a certain select group of clients. But when they have to step out of that comfort zone and talk to a new group, somebody that they're not as familiar with, that's where the butterflies often start to kick in. So knowing that this was a new group for you, what's something that you did to help yourself focus and feel more confident and comfortable? I always felt relaxed and I felt that if I made a mistake or said something that maybe uh, I shouldn't have said, I, I never let that thing bother me. I think that you can't overthink it. You can't try too hard. Just be yourself. You're being asked to speak because of who you are. So just be yourself. Don't try too hard. Don't try and be somebody you're not. Don't that's try a- and interject humor if you're, you know, <laughs> that's not a part of who you are. In fact, If there's one thing I observe in others doing public speaking is when they try too hard and try and interject humor and it just doesn't come off. We're not all Johnny Carsons or (laughs) so. Yes, yes. Crickets is not the sound that you're looking for as a response. Exactly. Um, Okay, then would you consider yourself to be an introvert or an extrovert? I guess out of the two, I would consider myself to be an extrovert. I hear a but in there. Well, the but is that I I don't try and force myself on people. Again, I think that's all part of my communication skills that I like to listen and I like to get other people's opinion. But I'm not intimidated about, you know, going into a a boardroom of, um, you know, very important individuals and and having to uh, talk about issues for the first time. It it just has never bothered me. So So I guess that's more being self-confident than being an extrovert. But but out of the two, I'm more extrovert. I'm not, I'm not at all introverted. So I think the extroverted part of that is the ability to walk into a room of people you don't know, and whether it's in front of all of them at once or just networking with them and having conversations with the strangers, there's a comfort level in that. It's not something that's terribly draining for you. Is that accurate? That's accurate. And it's the way I've been all my life. In grade school, I was kind of the class clown and got whacked quite a bit by the sisters because of it. But <laughs> I learned a lesson as to uh, as to when to be outgoing and when not to be outgoing. It took me eight years to learn that lesson, but ultimately it got through. And isn't that the, the rule number one, the cardinal rule of comedy, is it's all about timing? It's all about timing, and my timing was off for the first, <laughs> first decade of my life anyway. <laughs> and the nuns let you know it. They did let you know it. Yeah, they're was, not subtle about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. was part of, that was during the time when corporal punishment was part of the educational process, and it worked work for me anyway. Well, you know, it's funny. I I mean, I in my former life I was a public school teacher and I had you know about 30 kids in my class give or take, but my mother who was, you know, of the early baby boomer generation, you know, she said, "Laura, we had 80 kids in my class." So, you know, you can talk about cooperative learning and you can talk about this and about that, but managing trying to get 80 kids to sit still and do something else. I thought, yeah, I can imagine why the nuns would at least want to resort to something a bit more forceful, given the idea of having to get 80 kids to behave while doing algebra or whatever it was. So I don't envy them that task. 
I was in the same boat. All our classes were at least 50 and sometimes 60 and 70. And the sisters learned very quickly how to rule with a... Uh, Literally. <laughs> with an iron fist at times. So. <laughs> right. But like I said, it worked. Yep. Yep. So what about conflict? When you're faced with a potential conflict or a difficult situation, let's look at your natural wiring, how your DNA is structured. Do you naturally and instinctively want to avoid it or want to address it head on? I like to address things head on. I, I like to think that when people think of me, what they see is what they get. I like to be very open about that. And um, never in my career have I tried to avoid any confrontation. If, if it exists because it's an adversarial process where you're representing your client, you have to be involved, you have to get involved and you, you have to let your presence be known. Sure. And can you give some insight as far as what you've learned about how to effectively manage conflict? What's a tip? How do you address it head on? And that's, a, that's a good question. Again, I think it takes good listening and it takes analyzing the situation quickly. You have to be fast on your feet. And I think of, I'm not a litigator, but every once in a while I get in a courtroom. And for example, I was in a settlement conference with a judge and opposing parties last week. And I think it's just very important to assess the situation quickly and be very forceful in your opinions in those adversarial situations. Well, with that then, Bill, tell us how people can learn more about you and about Stradley Ronan. You can visit our website to learn more about Stradley Ronan. To learn more about me, you can just pick out the phone and call me. My, If you really want to learn about me, I'm open to communicating with uh, students. Periodically, I get a uh, call from a uh, parent who wants to talk to me about one of their kids who wants to be a lawyer and wants to get my opinion. And I'll say, just have your son call me, have your daughter call me. I'd love to talk to them about that. And I get a kick out of it, quite frankly. I enjoy doing that. That's really great. So is there a particular social media channel that you are more active on or that the firm is is more active with? I'm not a social media person, but I answer my uh, my emails and I answer all my phone calls. Uh, and that's the way I prefer to communicate more Terrific. so than social media. I so especially we'll like to talk on the telephone. So Okay. Well, we will definitely put all the information in the show notes. So if you are looking for more information about Bill Sasso or about Stradley Ronan, please do check those notes for how to get in touch. Bill, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Laura, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. And I want to thank everybody else out there as well for tuning in. Remember to subscribe so that you never miss an episode if you haven't done so yet. And of course, Tune in and be sure to give Bill a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, which is command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. 
the host, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.